Hello and welcome to yet another episode of iLoop, Interesting Lives of Ordinary People. My guest today is Dr. Erin Baker. Erin is a transformational coach and a doctorate in social psychology. They've worked at Facebook and Microsoft, and now they're helping people cultivate an amazing inner world so they can change their outer world and create the life they want. I was really excited, but also a bit nervous about our conversation. With so much political correctness in the world today, even well-meaning people can come across as offensive. And I am only just beginning to understand the difference between biological sex, sexuality, and gender identity. Erin was gracious, and together we decided that the best way to make a dent on the mountain of misinformation and misunderstanding is to tell more stories beginning with hers. And that would help us to really humanize the concepts that divide us. Today, we will be talking about gender fluidity and non-binary identification. I learned so much today, and I really hope that you will too. There are a couple of instances of completely appropriate profanity in this conversation. We are very sorry if that offends. Enjoy. Erin, welcome. It's so good to see you. And today's conversation I know is going to be a, a really interesting one, especially I'm, I'm really looking forward to listening to what you have to say. And you have had a big milestone recently, a three-year milestone. And I kind of want to leave it at that and let you expand on what that milestone is. And maybe we'll then go on to some free-flowing conversation on that. All right. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I absolutely love having conversations ab about this topic in particular. And when we booked this conversation, I didn't even really put two and two together that we we're talking the day after my three-year milestone. And so I won't leave the listeners in the dark too much longer. So three years ago, so this is March 2nd that we're recording on March 1st, three years ago, 2018, I had a major surgery and the major surgery was, um, I guess you could say optional <laughs> in some ways, but not really optional um, in the world. And that's because I decided to have top surgery and to be more exact, a double mastectomy with um, chest masculinization. masculinization. And that's a scientific way of saying that I decided to make my mind, body, spirit, heart, all of it aligned. And that's because I identify in this gray zone of what's called non-binary gender. And what it means is my whole life, my whole life, I didn't know what gender I, I fit into. The, there's these boxes, right, that we were born into. And I remember being five or six years old and thinking, wait a sec, I like basketballs and I like sports and I don't like dresses and I don't like fe feminine things. Was I supposed to be a boy? Um, and then also being like, well, I don't really want to be a boy. <laughs> but I really don't feel like a girl. And I want to distinguish because it sounds like very tomboyish. It's, it's more than that. Um, but that was what my five-year-old understood. And so I spent years, years and years and years of my life um, 
feeling like I never fit into a box, but not having language for it, knowing that I didn't really want to transition to being a male, but also looking at my female body and saying, this isn't right. (laughs) And really looking at my female breasts and saying, these don't fit. I, I grappled with this for 10 years, 10 years of what if I do? What if I don't? All this. And then when we can go into more of the story, I had I finally made that decision. I chose myself. And in 2018, I was fortunate enough to have a company that um, paid for that surgery for me and paid for me to have some time off. And so I did it. And it feels like a birthday to me because I woke up in my body for the first time and went, oh, yeah, this is me. <laughs> congratulations I mean what a huge step to take and I want to go back to when you were five and you were talking about you know you love things that boys traditionally liked and and I'm just curious to know whether if if we lived in a world where we didn't have you know girls wear pink and boys wear blue and these very clear sort of labels on what boys and girls are meant to be doing if you didn't have that would you have felt differently or was there a really clear sense even at that young age that you were not in the right body? I don't think I knew at that point I was not in the right body, but that was also before puberty, right? So that body in some ways is very close to what I have now. Um, I do think though that the societal, you know, constructs around gender are just really detrimental to kids. And and you, you said pink or blue. What most people don't know is that at one point, blue was associated with with girls and pink was associated with boys and yet we have it in our heads that there's these these really natural um dichotomies right and that most people most girls are going to naturally gravitate towards pink and so we should just reward that that's not true it's so early on in our childhood that we get socialized into certain genders and i was lucky enough that my parents didn't force anything on me they let me be me they loved that i played basketball um until middle school i could be seen walking around in sweatpants and you know gym shorts and jerseys and all that it wasn't till till puberty started to hit and i don't want to confuse sexuality and gender but really that that confusion started a lot when oh now you're supposed to like boys, right? And now you're supposed to act like a girl. <laughs> and so getting really confused around, okay, well, at the time I also was grappling with, well, what is my attraction to other people? And then they're different, but they're intertwined. And and so, yeah, I think if there had been much more flexibility and leeway and not the bullying that came with being more of a quote unquote tomboy, I might've had more of an inkling but i didn't even think about until college that there was anything that i could do about it because really even when i got into college so 2002 is when i started college it was still not okay to be gay so let alone go down the path of transgender and then transgender had this very specific you you go from one to another right and i I had a friend in college, actually, when I was in my first year of grad school who had transitioned and I just, I, I adored being around him and I adored learning from him and he taught me a whole lot about gender, but I knew I didn't want to transition. And so that just left me in that state of confusion <laughs> of, 
you know, oh, well, I don't want to change to that, but I don't like where I'm here. And so that was that was the place where I started to dive into, well, what is gender and what are these societal constructs and what is sex? Because there's 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 a difference between sex and gender. And science has a lot more understanding of the fact that there are, are multiple ways that sex is not binary. <laughs> um, there are people who are on the surface, you'd say that's a female, you know, primary sex characteristics, ovaries, um, breasts, they have all the characteristics of female, but then you look at their chromosomes and they're XY. And so if we look at that biologically, how can we then say then in terms of how we feel in our bodies as our identity is binary at all? Because gender is more about, okay, what do we, do I feel female? Do I feel male? Yeah, I feel both. And we all have masculine and feminine in us, all of us. Yes. But sometimes it's, it's, you know, really in our bodies too. And so that was where I was at is feeling like I'm a, I'm a walking paradox. <laughs> I didn't look like a girl in some senses. I did have long hair. Um, I didn't cut my long hair until I was 25-ish. Um, but yeah, I liked to be very tomboyish. And um, I remember there was, uh, so my bus stop, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and I um, lived in this sort of like part of the, the town that was sort of deserty. And this other girl was at my bus stop and the bus stop was right next to my house and she would come every day and she would take my hair tie from me. She would throw things in my, from my backpack off into the desert, you know, where there's cacti and all that. Um, she would go around telling other people at school that I liked them. Um, I had people come up to me and call me, you know, whatever kind of more of the like lesbian slurs, you know, dyke, that kind of stuff. Um, but, and then, I mean, there were guys who said things too. I can't remember all of what they said, but I just remember them making fun of what I wore. Um, and I had fr a few friends, but it was starting to, to really hit home sixth, seventh grade that, wait, I'm different. Something's different. Um, there's something not okay with who I am in the societal I and so that started a real abandonment of myself. Um, I don't think I've ever said that, but that's really where it started. Is I, I spent, you know, it, it was such a, a stark contrast to what my parents, you know, did for me growing up, and in terms of really letting me be and not asking me to fit into any societal mold. And I think that you know, behind the scenes, they were worried. Um, they've, I've at least heard this, my, my dad's no longer here with us, but my mom and I have talked and I think my, my aunts and uncles and my parents were worried about how I was going to move through society, um, in terms of just my tomboyness. Like we weren't even thinking about gender. I'm, I'm, and I keep going back to tomboy. They are two different things, but that was what was on the surface at that point. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I started to abandon myself and I remember middle school, I finally got my first pair of jeans because I used to wear sweatpants. I used to wear like really outlandish clothes. Um, and then, you know, all through high school trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I do this thing called girl? And, and, you know, 
trying on things like makeup that didn't feel right to me. And, you know, at some point I started highlighting my hair with blonde highlights because that was more feminine. And, you know, it also translated into, well, let me make sure I always have some sort of boy that I'm, you know, fawning over because again, sex and gender or sexuality and gender were kind of this weird muddle for me. Um, and I just remember so excitedly coming to now, I went to university of Michigan for college. It was 2000 miles away from home. And I, I had so many friends who were staying in state going to college. And I said, for so many reasons, I said, I'm, I'm not staying here. I have to start over. And I found myself in this amazing little college at, in, um, university of Michigan. And so that was a great place for me to start really exploring who I was. And it still took me till like middle of college to come out as, um, not header, not straight. And then it took me even longer to years to, to really go, Oh wait, there's this additional layer. And it took me a long time because it was already coming out as gay. And at the time sort of bisexual was what I came out as coming out as gay in 2004 was still really hard. I mean, it was not allowed in the United States. The state of Michigan had banned gay marriage. I just even getting to that place, it was like really another thing, another thing I have to come out about. But how aware were you of all these different, uh, you know, let's call it labels. I mean, they're not yeah. labels, but they are sort of labels, aren't they? Were you were you starting to, uh, you know, research these things? Did you have medical advice, support? I'm, I'm you know, how how was that process for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I knew somebody in college who had had top surgery. And I remember looking at them and thinking, ooh, that doesn't look good. Um, so I'm not going to do that. And so I almost, I had the curiosity in college and then shut it down immediately. Um, and what was interesting is uh, at the time I went to, to social work school for a year after college and was interning at the LGBT office at University of Michigan. And that's where I met this, this trans guy who became a really good friend of mine. And he was teaching these workshops on gender, which then he handed the torch over me to me to start teaching them. And so in order to teach them, I had to really dive in and learn. Um, and I then I moved to San Diego after that with my girlfriend at the time. And I started teaching gender workshops at the community's LGBT center. And so I had to continue my learning. But all the while, what was so interesting is I kept saying, I'm teaching gender, but this isn't me. This is not about my story because I just wasn't quite ready to grapple with my own I was I had it was hard enough to come out. I just did not want to accept that there might be something else. I taught those workshops. I have a, a, a very dear friend who I met during those workshops who then went all the way from exploring non-binary and is now transitioned. Um, but it took me I still years and I kept saying, I don't want to, I don't want another thing. I just don't want another thing that sets me apart. I don't want society to look at me weird. Even cutting my hair short was a big thing because now I can't pass as straight not just pass as female, right? Long hair really got me to, you know, if I needed to be safe somewhere, I could be. But now with the short hair and the leaning more into the masculine side of my my expression was, 
you know, already causing me to stand out in places. And so I just sort of tip, dipped my toe in, but I kept getting these nudges and just kept getting these more nudges. And I kept looking at my body and going, this is not, this is not my body. And so I was in grad school in Austin, Texas. I, I first heard about non-binary about 2006. Um, and then it was 2012 or 13, 13, 2013, um, that I said, Ooh, okay, maybe, it, maybe I'll look into surgery. And what I did was I went to normal plastic surgeons thinking, I'm not going to get everything removed. That's just too much. Society will just look on me like I am a fucking freak. Excuse my language, but that was what I was telling myself. And so I went to these plastic surgeons and said, I just want a reduction. And one of the plastic surgeons said, yeah, I can probably do that. I can take you down to an A cup. It won't look good, but I can do that. And I'm thinking about my, my, my friend that I knew in college, right? That it didn't look good. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe. And then I went to another plastic surgeon and she said, well, I can't do what you want because I have an aesthetic that I won't, that I'll adhere to. Mind you, neither of these people were at all specializing in gender affirming surgeries, right? They were just typical plastic surgeons. Yes. And so I said, you know what? No, I'm not ready. I don't want to do this. Um, I'm definitely not going in just for a, a minor reduction. I don't want to do something that looks, I mean, I'm, I was almost willing to do the one that would look bad because it was that important to me, but I went, you know, I'm not ready. So I just let it sit and I let it sit. I kept sitting and I kept sitting because it just kept saying to myself, well, I don't know what society will think. And what if I don't want this? What if I go under the knife and I look at down and I think, yo, you really are a fucking freak, right? Um, so I was, uh, I was worried about society and I was worried about myself and what I would think of myself. And so I went back and forth for years on, okay, well, am I getting a reduction? Am I getting completely, you know, removed? Am I doing nothing? And it was exhausting. And um, it just made it so much easier just to stay, right? Just to do nothing and to continue hating my body and continue looking down at my body and going, this isn't, this isn't right. It was 2017 when I finally said, I'm, I'm like, I'm on the edge. Like the, the fear of what if I do had been strong, right? And now the fear of what if I don't was getting stronger. And you got you to gotta know when the fear of what if I don't gets stronger than the fear of what if I do, because then that means you got to go. You got to go do it. And I um, ended up working with a coach at the time, totally on something else and burnout really, and she said, come down to Mexico. I have this retreat. I think you'd really get some clarity there. And I said, no. Um, the retreat was straight women, identified women. Like, what is someone who's grappling with non-binary and not straight going to do with women who are, and most of them in their 40s and, and older? I'm thinking, I that's the last place I want to go. I'm going to be ostracized. And she said, no, no, trust me. These are really wonderful people. Come down to Mexico. So I followed my gut, which said, go down to Mexico. And uh, spent a week with them at this retreat, deciding I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. And it was a great place for me to be because one of my fears was having a bathing suit on. What are you going to do 
as a as a mostly female person in terms of sex characteristics on a beach. And so I got to sit on a beach and think about, well, what do I want? Do I want to wear a bra for the rest of my life, even if it's a smaller one? Do I want to possibly take a shirt off? Do I want to wear a surfing um, shirt? What do I want to do? And at some point, this coach asked me something around the, the, the lines of, who are you going to, like, who are you going to please? Society or yourself? Or who are you going to choose? And it kept coming back to society, society. And she said, when are you going to choose yourself? And those 14 other straight white, mostly white women said, we love you. We choose you. And they became my champions. My, they're some of my best friends to this day. And they were the ones who really said, you are a human and you are an amazing human. F society, go choose you. And so I came home from that retreat and made an appointment right away. And that's, that's how surgery happened. So that's a long-winded story about how I got to, to here. I had abandoned me. I had abandoned my body. I, for other reasons, was also really disconnected. I'm really glad my story ended up being what it is. But my body contains so much wisdom so much wisdom um, in ways I had never imagined. And now that I'm connected with it, I can tap that wisdom. I really can feel things like I, I, you know, I know that deep down when I'm supposed to go do something because I can feel it in my body. There's an intuitive or soul level thing going on there. But when I was so detached, I was, I was neck up all the time. Um, and, and now I look at me and I feel me. I can feel my body moving through the world in ways that are more powerful. It's, it's just so hard to describe for people who haven't experienced it. But just imagine not feeling like you're in your body. <laughs> and well, and I remember when I got out of surgery and I took my first picture, someone said, this is how we've always seen you. I can't believe you had a chest. Um is that such a that's such a powerful statement that sometimes and i've seen this with other things you know obviously um, in life we generally have a perception of how people see us which is often flawed because yes. really that's what we've taught ourselves to believe people see us yeah it's only when we we give ourselves permission to be who we are we suddenly realize that actually no one's surprised that they, they probably always saw us that way, but they thought we wanted them to see us in a different way. So so when you were going through this long process of, you know, not being sure and, you know, not feeling right, but not knowing what the right thing to do was, who did you turn to? Did you have people in your close family or, you know, friend circle that supported you? Uh, my now wife was a big support. She was, she was just big champion for me and for years kept, you know, saying, I, I can't love a part of your body that you don't love and wanting me, you know, to do what was best for me and, you know, supporting every step of the way, uh, what I wanted and needed. And then, um, my wife's family was really, really supportive. Um, my family has been supportive. I think it was, uh, a, a little bit of a shock parents my mom is in her 70s her husband's in um his 80s like they're not this is new stuff and so just sort of 
grappling with it and trying to understand it. But they, you know, my mom has always been super supportive of me. And so um, they've been wonderful. My, my mother-in-law, my mom is now in a wheelchair. And so she couldn't come visit me during my surgery. And so my mother-in-law came out during my surgery and uh, took care of me and, you know, helped my wife. And um, definitely those women from the retreat have been super supportive. They were texting me the whole way. So I've had a ton of support and it's been almost shocking in some ways because it's just, it's wonderful to see how far society has come since 2004. What, 10, 15 years later, everybody is supporting me on this gender stuff. I have, I've not had a single person uh, in my world outwardly say anything negative to me is I was worried about going into restrooms, right? That's a, a huge thing. Cause even, you know, with the short hair, I at times could at least point to my chest and you, people go, Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Um, I don't get harassed any more often. I don't get harassed very often, but I don't get harassed any more often than I used to. Um, most people don't notice. So this is sort of a naive question to ask. So, you know, obviously yeah. when you're non-binary, what does that actually mean in terms of when you have to slot into one of the, you know, either the male toilets or the female? How, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Well, if there's, if there's an all gender restroom, that's my preference. Um, and in fact, uh, that was something that I was working on at my last job at Microsoft is to get every building an, an all gender restroom because that is absolutely the safest. And usually those are single stall, right? There's um, so, so there's some privacy. So in the places that there's one of those, I will go there. Um, in the absence of an all gender restroom, I tend to go towards the women's room because it's safer. Um, I'm, I'm prepared for things to happen. I remember working at Facebook, uh, one day walking into the women's restroom and, um, the, there was a woman in there who ran out of the bathroom thinking she was in the wrong restroom. Um, and the way she looked at me was just, it was was devastating. And I had to just say, look, this is, this is going to be what it's going to be. And what I did is I allowed myself to feel the pain because I think it's, it's, unhealthy to just say, oh, it's okay. I'm going to, you know, bust through this and put on my brave armor. No, I allowed myself to feel the pain and know that I was okay. It was going to happen. And that reaction, does it, do you find that it comes from a place of not knowing, not understanding rather than sort of, you know, transphobia or, you know, homophobia or whatever it is? I think it's mostly not understanding and and most of the time that I get, uh, there's, I've I've had a a few different, uh, incidents that I can think about, but the the majority of them, the person is looking at themselves. Like, did I step into the wrong restroom? Which is kind of interesting that the automatic assumption is that they're wrong. (laughs) And so there's some understanding and compassion that comes along for me with, with people's questioning and, I'm sure there are places where transphobia exists and I know the other people who've experienced it. So I'm, I'm grateful that at this point in my life, I haven't faced it. I'm also aware I'm going to keep myself out of situations where I could be in harm. 
I'm not going to travel to certain countries where I could be in harm's way. I'm not going to go into restrooms in locations where I'm in harm's way. I'm going to use resources like my wife when I need to. And I'd rather over rotate towards caution than not. Non-binary doesn't have a particular look to it, quote unquote, right? So I am someone who is more in the androgynous. You can you can see the female and you can see the male in me, but I know some people who identify as non-binary who you would look at them and think, oh, no, that's just, you know, a woman. Um, hmm. And I know some people on the other side who, oh, no, that's just a, a man. And so having, getting rid of assumptions, right, and having everybody identify pronouns um, that they use is really, I think, important to breaking down assumptions. And so the more we can um, break down all of our assumptions, not just on gender, and and start getting to know the unique blend of humans, the better. And I think there's certainly more diversity training that can be done. I think diversity training is a really hard concept that not not very many people are doing well, but we need we need more of it and better of it. And I think people need to be sharing their stories and asking for what they need because what I need is very different than some of my other you know, non-binary friends. And what I need is very different as a non-binary person than say a trans person. And so I think we need to just learn all about these different spectrums of humanity. So um, I want to ask you, what's been the most rewarding thing for you since you found yourself and since you took that, you know, big step of getting surgery done? I'd say it unlocked so much more depth of understanding of who I am. Noticing how my ability to understand myself and my gender and be fluid with some of the things around my gender. Because, yeah, there are some days I've, I've worn a dress, not recently, but um, being able to be fluid with my gender also has allowed me to be fluid with other identities and really look at, okay, who am I right now? And what are the qualities that I want to play with? And what do I want to try on? And um I just find the more and more I get to know myself, obviously, the more fun I'm having, um, the, the more um, I literally I love dancing in my body. Um, but then the more I get to know myself, the more I also get really attuned with what am I here for? The most rewarding thing now is the more I get to do me and be me, the more I am able to show up in the world to do the good I want to do. And that's what I help people do with themselves now too, is counterintuitively go inward in order to help outward. Yeah, I love that. So basically you've done the work of, you know, finding your truth and being you. Yes. So it's, it's, is it that much easier now to go and help others to do the same? Yes. And I ask myself, I love the word truth because um, I think truth is a journey. And it's like I broke down this wall and now I just get to see what more of my truth is available each day. During COVID, my wife and I have, so we live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and my parents have a summer home about three and a half hours from us, but it's up in a much more rural, rural part of Michigan, much more conservative uh, area. And so when we drive up there, we usually make a stop for gas and to, to use the restroom. And now with a mask on, um, I look even more male. And so what we have done is my, my wife will actually come into the restroom with me to make sure 
I feel okay. And I, I do have um, places where I have said, you know what, I'm not going to use a restroom here. I'm, I'm not safe. Um, I may be safe. I don't know. But I, I am constantly vigilant too. What more truth can I find? And, and it's just now the layers are, are there and I'm just, everything is so much more accessible. I think one of the things that I saw on uh, your Facebook post, you know, you're, you're thinking about, you know, the beginner's mindset and, you know, being willing to reinvent yourself. So tell me a little bit more about that. How, how, do, you, how do you bring that sort of spirit of reinvention into your everyday life? That's such a great question. Um, the part of the non-binary identity that's so fascinating, right, is that it's not that I am fixed between male and female, like right here, right? There's not these two poles and I'm right in the center. It's like I'm fluidly moving. And some days I'm really leaning into that masculine and some days into that feminine. All of us are doing that, but I'm more aware of it because um, it's it's such a, a you know huge part of me. But in doing that, what I recognize is, okay, I have male and female in me. So does everybody else. And then so the next leap I made in my head was, well, we all have everything within us. All of the identities are available. And why would we fix to one? We don't have to. Um, and so allowing myself to be fluid in gender allows me to be fluid literally in everything. And it allows me to say, today I'm this and today I'm, I'm that. And, you know, some people on the outside might say, well, that's capricious, right? You just, you need to figure out who you are. I'm like, no, I am, I am so much more permission to explore and find what feels good and um, to, to ask myself, is this, who I want to be and this is how I want to be. And um, it's allowed me to not only just play with my identity, but then also be really fluid in how I operate in the world, in my relationships, in my business. I'm, I'm willing now to, you know, reinvent on a regular basis because there's nothing wrong with it. I'm at, every time I reinvent, I'm just getting to know myself better. I'm getting more and more truth. And in my business, I'm getting more and more clarity about what I'm up to. And so I almost find these moments of, ah, I got to shift everything to be really exciting. <laughs> I love that. I would imagine that you are many, many years from now and you have continued to reinvent and, you know, you've reached a point in your life where you feel like, yes, my work is done and my time on this earth is coming to its end, but, you know, I'm happy and I'm fulfilled. At that point, I want... I want you to tell me, how would you like to be remembered? What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Such a fantastic question. I, I really want to be a, remembered as a stand, a stand for full, authentic expression and fluidity of expression for everyone. Um, I really strong I, I love these words i'm playing with right now who knows uh, i reinvent myself all the time but really authentic inclusive and equitable really strike me because authentic is about the individual level and when we're all authentic we can be more inclusive and when we're more inclusive we can create the more equitable society right and so i want to be known for that one person at a time stand for everyone to be themselves and how that ladders up to how we behave as communities, as cultures, as societies. And so my final question is, what is your definition of a fulfilled life? Mm. 
that's so interesting. I'm not sure I have articulated this into words because when I when you say fulfilled, like what happens is I feel something in my sternum and there's a feeling but not words. Um, I think it's one that is absolutely full of joy and and pleasure and sometimes the biggest joy and biggest pleasure is going out and doing impactful work in the world but a fulfilled life is the one where um and i'm spitballing here it's the one where you don't abandon yourself it's the one where you choose yourself in each and every moment and counterintuitively choosing yourself actually turns into bringing about whatever you want to see in the world but choosing yourself really is the the big thing well, absolutely. Aaron, it's been absolutely fascinating. And listen, last question is for people like me who are still learning about, you know, the whole non-binary situation. So how how do you want people to address you? Yeah, so um, I am speaking of fluidity. Uh, for a long time, I was very resistant to any other pronouns besides she and her. But right now I am trying on they, them for size. And one of the great things is that um, because I have a PhD, I don't have to worry about Miss or Mister. <laughs> I go by Doctor, um, so I've always been gender free with that. But yeah, yeah. they them is how I I am currently um, being referred to. Thank you so much, Erin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And I wish you every success. And I'm going to look forward to you fluidly reinventing yourself. <laughs> Me too. I'm looking forward to who I'm going to be tomorrow and two days from now and 10 years from now. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not send the link to someone you know? You can also leave us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, send me an email on info at rohini-rator.co.uk. I'd also love to hear from you with your direct feedback on what you enjoyed about this podcast and how we can make it better. If you enjoy listening to stories of ordinary people doing interesting and extraordinary things, then why not subscribe so you never miss an episode? The music for this podcast was created by Mike Pearl. If you're looking for original music for your audio or video content, you can get in touch with him on mp969696 at hotmail.com.